With your Bibles, will you turn please to Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse number 14, Acts 2, 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In his book entitled Christless Christianity, author Michael Horton writes, in a In the American church, it is not heresy, but silliness that is killing us. God is not denied, but he is trivialized. Christ is a source of empowerment, but is he the source of redemption? He helps the morally sensitive to become better, but does he save the ungodly? He heals broken lives, but... Does he raise those who are dead in trespasses and sins? Does Christ come to merely improve our existence in Adam or to end it, sweeping us into his new creation? Is Christianity about moral and spiritual makeovers or about death and resurrection, radical judgment and radical grace? Is the Word of God a resource for what we have already decided we want and need, or is it God's living and active criticism of human religion and showing us the way we must go? Is the Bible God's story centering on Christ's redeeming work that rewrites our stories or something that just seems to make our stories a little more interesting? George Barna, many people familiar with him because he has researched the Christian faith for many, many years. And in one of his recent studies, he ended by drawing this conclusion. The spirituality of America is Christian in name only. We desire experience more than knowledge. We prefer choices instead of absolutes. We embrace preferences rather than truth. We seek comfort instead of growth. Faith must come on our terms or we reject it. We have enthroned ourselves as the arbiters of righteousness. 
the ultimate rulers of our own experience and destiny. We are the Pharisees of the new millennium. And how about this from Newsweek magazine? Churches seem to have developed pick-and-choose Christianity. Take what you want, leave the rest. Disguised in the secular language of psychotherapy, the search for the sacred has turned sharply inward for Christians. They are seeking peace of mind and personal well-being and addressing self-esteem. Many Americans flit from one tradition to the next, tasting the nectar of this tradition or that, but like butterflies, they remain mostly up in the air. Well, into such ideas and those ideas about false Christianity have been around forever. There's there's nothing new under the sun. And into those ideas of what might become have become of the American Christian church comes the apostolic preaching of the word of God. Not long ago, I heard a, an interview with a missionary in, in um, one of the countries in South America where the gospel is just exploding. And they asked this one indigenous preacher, what is going on here? Why is there such growth and such dynamic things happening within the church in your country these days? He picked up the Bible and he said, it's because we actually believe this. And that was the center of apostolic preaching. They actually believed it. Into a world of false ideas and nonsensical teaching comes the example of apostolic preaching. And where we are studying in our scripture today is Peter's sermon at Pentecost. And what a sermon it was. It will actually take me three weeks to get through it. But we know how it ends. Preaching was such power with such straightforward clarity of the Word of God and Word of God alone, that 3,000 people were saved. You know, one of the things I find even in the Christian church today is uh, we're able and willing to say how much we believe in the Word of God, and we use important words, they're important to me, that the Bible is inspired by God, that it is infallible, that it is inerrant, And one of the things we also need to add to that in the church these days is it is sufficient. It does what it claims to do and nothing else is needed. The last thing you need to hear from a preacher, from me especially, is some opinion. You need to hear the word of God. That's why in Acts 4.2, it says, they were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. In Acts 5, 42, every day in the temple, it says, and from house to house, they kept right on preaching and teaching Jesus as the Christ. Acts 4, it says, those who had been scattered abroad went about preaching the word. Acts 9, 20, right after his conversion, it says, Paul began to proclaim Jesus in all the synagogues, saying he is the Son of God. 
And uh, I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not in cleverness of speech, that the cross of Christ should not be made void. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I want to, uh, before I really expound more clearly on what Peter was driving at in this sermon, just want to take a moment to talk about the content of real apostolic biblical preaching for a minute, okay? You have to, you have to evaluate this over time. You remember the Christians at Berea, what they did when they heard the Word of God preached? It says they went home and they opened the Scriptures to determine to see if what was taught was really so. You should do the same. You should be discriminant in these matters. Oh, in this day and age, how discriminant should you be? Should we be from all the things we hear that are so supposedly called truth? Well, I want to take you into just a little bit of reflection on what the content of biblical preaching is about. And I use three words to help you understand it. And the first one is proclamation. And Peter was doing this so remarkably well. This is the attempt to focus upon Christ. This is going to the Old Testament from the very beginning, all through the prophets and the law and, and teaching that everything is directed toward Christ. Mankind faces a serious dilemma. We sang about it today. You have on the one hand the wrath of God. You have, on the other hand, the sinfulness of mankind. How do those come together? It comes together because of the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross, where he shed his blood. He died for everyone who believes. He cleanses us by his righteousness being imputed to us by faith. Proclamation. The second thing in biblical preaching is this, teaching and doctrine or doctrine. This is the attempt to build knowledge. Christianity is a thinking religion. We feel certain things, yes. Did you feel some of what was happening in the energy of the worship today? I mean, I love that. God wants it. He built us like that with emotions to feel what we experience today, but he also wants us building our knowledge and understanding of what his scripture teaches us about the world around Biblical worldview, understanding the world through the eyes of God. So we have to build upon the teaching of all the way back to creation and to the fall and to the doctrine of God, especially, and the doctrine of Christ and teaching the doctrine of man, who we are, what happened to us in the fall in, in the garden, doctrine of salvation, doctrine of grace, on and on it goes. When the preacher preaches, he proclaims, but he also teaches doctrine, that we understand the concepts that God gave us in his word to know and understand. And then finally, it's about persuading. And this is the attempt to reach the heart. Pro proclamation is the attempt to focus upon Christ. Doctrine is the attempt to build our knowledge and persuading is the attempt to reach our hearts 
This is not a matter of just head or not a matter of just heart, the preaching of the gospel. It is a matter of both. God created us like this. And so we give reasoned presentations with down-to-earth applications and, and a request for response. You don't ever want to hear a sermon where you're not asked to, to respond in some way, do you? I mean, we talk about the altar here, and, and every time this, this service goes on, someone will say to you, the altars are open. If you're new here, I don't want you ever thinking that there's some kind of strange, weird thing going on here. This is a part of the preaching of the gospel, that when the gospel is preached, we request a response. If God is speaking to you, obviously, from what Chantha read to us this morning, there's four, five, six people in the last few weeks who have, re- in, in fact, responded to the grace of Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior. And so, good preaching requires proclamation, teaching, and persuading. This is why Acts 28 says of Paul, and when they had set a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers, Acts 28, 23. And he was explaining to them solemnly, testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus, both from the law of Moses and the prophets from morning until evening. I love it. And there were some who were persuaded. And there were some who heard the speaking who did not believe. And that is the choice we always make. Make no mistake about this. Salvation is always a twofold endeavor. It is the initiative of God, without which you'd never call in his name in the first place, that requires a human response. And if he is speaking to you today in some way, respond in whatever way he tells you. So let's get into the first part of the sermon. And as I mentioned, it'll take me another couple weeks to get all through this, but I want to make the first two points that Peter made in the preaching of the very first, what they call very first Christian sermon, because this was the sermon that came after the launch of the church, the first apostolic sermon. And the first point I want to make to you is this. He began with refutation. He refuted. He refuted error. And to do so, we got to know what we're talking about, right? And then Peter knew what he was talking about here because here was the charge. Do you remember last week we studied about the Holy Spirit coming? And he came upon the individuals in, in that room, and they began to speak in tongues, the tongues of known languages, so that others could hear the mighty works of God. And the people were astounded and bewildered, and some made this charge. These people are drunk. And Peter said, no, they're not. It's only the third hour of the day. That'd be about nine o'clock in the morning. No, they're not drunk. They are not drunk. You got to take the errors you see around you and refute them and stand up for them carefully and teach what the Bible says. Reason with people calmly. Consider them kindly, but do so with authority when you have to. 
tell what the truth is. And you know what? You don't have to win an argument. I made a mistake in, in, in my ministry for a long, long time thinking, well, people expect me to know the scripture. People expect me to be able to teach it with clarity and so on and, and be able to be, be uh, persuading enough that they will change their minds. And if I don't change somebody's mind and win an argument, then I haven't done my job. That is not the case. God convicted me of that a while back and said, listen, you don't ever have to win an argument. That's not my calling to you. You proclaim the truth and leave the results to God. And that's how we function as a church. Sometimes I do not doubt that we stop from saying things to people because we think we don't know enough, we can't persuade them or win an argument, and we stop in our tracks when we should have spoken because you, got, you, you simply have to tell what you know and what God has done for you. And uh, that's what Peter did. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Be ready always to give an answer to every man who asks you a reason for the hope that is within you, with meekness and with fear. Well, Peter knew that uh, intuitively, maybe God put this on his heart, that you know, a good sermon needs a good introduction. Well, how about the coming of the Holy Spirit for an, an introduction? And falling upon people. I mean, that rates right up there with the, the best, maybe the best ever, wind, a mighty rushing wind. And that was a wonderful introduction. And then he refutes the charges that these people were drunk and uh, he dismisses that charge as being absolutely absurd. And then he moves on to the explanation of what happened at Pentecost. And uh, preaching and teaching in the Scripture always includes this. Give the people an explanation for what is happening. And here's how he explained it. He took them back into the Old Testament to the prophet Joel. And verse number 2 uh, chapter number 2, verse number 28. And he talked about what Joel said. God was the one who declared, he said, that I'll pour my spirit out on all flesh in the last days. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, which means here to preach, teach. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. There'll be wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood, fire, vapor, smoke, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. Now, the, the last day's teaching was something the old... Testament people would have really resonated with. Because in, in the Old Testament experience, that was really pointed to, and it was expected that people who were under the teaching of the rabbis and of the law of God and the prophets of God would really understand that the Messiah would come, and he would come with authority, and there would be this great day when there'd be the consummation of all things of human life and the existence of the world and universe as we know. So that was something that they connected very well with. 
And Peter was just brilliant and inspired by God, if you were, to bring this up to show them what was happening. Hebrews 1, 2 says, In the last days, God has spoken to us through his Son, and now, once at the consummation of the ages, Christ has been manifested to put sin away by the sacrifice of himself. And the pouring out of his Spirit upon people to believe would happen in the last times. And the Spirit was coming upon all. I'll tell you, um, one day when I was a young minister, um, I met with an old, older man who uh, didn't realize how profoundly he was mentoring me that day. And uh, we were talking about things, and I was asking him about things, a wonderful layman in the church. And he said to me, you know, Pastor, there's just one thing about you, you pastors that I wish you understood a little better. And I said, what is that? And he said, uh, you got to remember, the Holy Spirit speaks to lay people too. The Holy Spirit is upon all. Now, I think about uh, the story that happened in Numbers um, chapter 11, a wonderful, the wonderful story about Moses, who um, is having to contend with God because the people are, are really ticked off. I mean, they're mad. You know what they're mad about? Remember that story? They're mad about the manna. Man in the morning, man in the afternoon, man in the... Lord, we're so sick of this manna. What we want is meat. And uh, Moses goes to talk to God about it. And, and the Bible says God is very angry about it. And Moses was upset, wondering what to do. And um, this is what the Lord said to Moses. Gather to me 70 men of elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people and officials over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting that they may stand with you. Then I will come down and talk to you there. I will take of the spirit that is upon you and will put the same upon them that you may not be alone. What a remarkable thing. Now, there was two of those guys who came out, Eldad and Medad, and uh, they were expressing the fact that the Spirit had come upon them, and Joshua was upset with them for doing that. And this is what Moses said to Joshua, are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Ladies and gentlemen, the spirit belongs upon all of us, every one of us, to do the will and the work of him who calls us to the ministry. And that was the explanation. And the pointing to this great and glorious day of the Lord. I mean, how remarkable that Pastor Randy picked the, the songs that he picked today. You, you suppose that's a coincidence? No, I think not either. We sang today about he is coming soon. I listened to you. You expressed yourself. You were thrilled with that prospect. And the, the things that were happening that Peter preached about in Joel are consistent with the scripture. By the way, the spirit 
will interpret the scripture, and scripture will always be consistent with itself. That's how we interpret what we know. And think about this scripture from the words of Jesus himself in Matthew 24. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And I'll tell you, he knew that the people would be terrified that day, especially those who had not given themselves to the Lord. For those who are perishing, the day of the Lord is an unspeakable darkness. But for those who are redeemed, it is light and life. Jesus Christ is the Word today, my friends, and the Son of God. He is the Redeemer and explanation of all things. He is the light of the world, the one in whom the entire universe exists and who upholds it by his word of power. He is the creator. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He sits enthroned in eternal glory amidst the praise of the saints and angels at the right hand of God the Father, mentioning your name today as he prays. He heals the sick. He raises the dead. He is all-powerful, all-glorious, all-majestic, and all-beautiful, radiant in holiness, infinite in kindness toward us. And as Peter said, and it shall come to pass that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a God we serve. What a glorious God. Would you pray with me, please? Oh God, we love you so much and thank you for the truth and power of your true and trustworthy word. What a sermon Peter began at Pentecost that day. The true preaching of the gospel message, simple yet profound, always life-changing, and we thank you for it today. And I thank you that every one of us, believer and non-believer alike, can turn to this message today and say, it, it's mine. It's for me. I want to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. For the believer in the church today, we come and worship because of this verse. Maybe the most profound truth the human being has ever heard. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Should there be one here this morning who needs you as Lord, oh, Father, may they sense your kindness and your goodness and your glory and your, your saving grace through faith in what Christ has done upon the cross. Oh, how we love you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah.
God is speaking to you in any way. It doesn't have to be salvation. Maybe there's something that you have been dealing with to give to Him. Maybe there's something that He said during our service today that you want to solidify and take to the altar. Maybe you just need prayer. Sing a 
hearts and minds, we give them to you, Lord. Oh, Lord, we, we give you our, our homes, our families, our jobs, everything, our kids. Give them to you. Thank you, Lord. Faithfulness endures through all generations. We trust you this morning. 